The last time I preached here was in 1996 for your anniversary at that time. And the way it happened, my wife and I, we, uh, we had just been on a trip. Uh, I'm going to say a little more than that because you need to understand the frame of mind we were in. We had a daughter that, um, that uh, went through a time of rebellion in her life. She actually ran away from home a couple of times. And uh, eventually, after the second time she ran away from home, we found out where she was, and we literally kidnapped her against her will and took her to a boarding school for girls. And there she spent a year and a half, got her life straightened out, got right with God. Today she's married to a youth pastor back in Michigan. They have four lovely grandchildren. Oh, no, they have children. But we see them as grandchildren. So um, yeah, for, uh, if, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you've heard this, but, uh, but uh, somebody said that grandchildren are God's reward for not having killed your children. And uh, so, uh, but, uh, uh, but we had just dropped her off, literally, before we drove back to Spokane and stopped here for church that Sunday morning. We had just dropped our child off at a boarding school. As far as I was concerned at that moment, I wasn't sure if I was going to come back home and resign because my children weren't under subjection with all gravity. I wasn't sure if I was going to quit the ministry or if the people wanted me to. I didn't know what my future held. And three days after we dropped her off there, we were driving through South Dakota. And the only church I knew well enough that I wanted to stop was this church. I knew Pastor Williams. I counted him as a friend. I knew he'd be comforting to us. So we had just uh, dropped my daughter off, and when we drove away from that ministry, my wife looked at me through the tears in her eyes, and she said to me, she said, I can't think of anything harder than if we were driving away from a cemetery. I said, I agree. I don't... um, We didn't know how that was going to turn out. We didn't know what she was going to, how she was going to respond. She told me, she said, if you do this to me, when she finally found out where she was going and she had no choice, she said, if you do this to me, I will never speak to you again. She said, they can only keep me till I'm 18. And when I turn 18, I will never speak to you again for the rest of my life. And I just told her, I said, honey, if I get you to 18 pure and safe, and you hate me for that? I can live with that. It'll be painful. But I can live with that. What I can't live with is letting you at 15 years old go off on your own and all the bad things that can happen to you out in that world. That I can't live with. So as we said goodbye to her, I gave her a hug, arms stiff down to her side. And I wrapped my arm around her and I gave her a hug and I said, I love you. Still arms stiff down. She goes, I love you too. And I pulled back a little bit. She goes, doesn't change a thing. I will never speak to you again. That's how we left her. Three days later, we're driving through here, and we're going to find a place to go to church. So we got here a couple hours before church that Sunday morning, and I pulled up in a parking lot. I said, I just want to go see if somebody looked like a couple cars in the parking lot. And I stepped in the front door, and there was no one to see. I was looking around the lobby, and about that time, Pastor Williams came up the stairs from downstairs. When he hit the top of the stairs, he stopped. He looked at me and said, what are you doing here? 
I said, well, that's a long story. He said, well, let me tell you something. He said, today is our anniversary. He said, several months ago, I prayed about who I should bring in for the anniversary, and you're the one that came to my mind. But I procrastinated. I didn't call you in time. By the time I got around to really feeling like I could call you, I felt like it was too late. There was no way you could come at that short of notice. So I just decided to go ahead. But you're here. I said, yes, sir. And he said, would you preach for me this morning? I took a deep breath and I said, um, maybe you and I should sit down and talk for a minute first. And then you decide whether you want me to preach or not under those conditions. And so we went to his office and we sat down. And I told him why we were where we were. I told him what had just happened, what was going on in our lives. And he got tears in his eyes and he said, I don't know if you know this, but we had a children's home connected with this church for a while. He said, we understand that kind of ministry. He said, I'd still love to have you preach for us. So I said, okay, which was really helpful to me because I didn't know what I was going to say when I got back home. So I preached that morning. My wife sat right back about that area, right about there, crying through the whole service and um, trying to wipe away the tears and trying to... And um, so we... Uh, uh, that was the last anniversary I was invited to. You know. <laughs> First of all, I appreciate the prior notice. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity to think ahead about what I was going to preach. I, just, I really do. I, but uh, we, it really, it really ended up being a godsend to us to feel like I could preach again after having dealt with all that emotion. So it was really helpful. And that's my memory of Pastor Williams and Liberty Baptist Church. Or Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. So I appreciate it very much. And... Uh, I did count Pastor Williams as a friend. He was very kind to me whenever I was around him, and I appreciate this ministry. I'm fighting bitterness, though, because you have, I, 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 I expected the DeGarmos to come back to Spokane when he got out of the military. <laughs> and um, then the Eftings left us to come here to you. <laughs> We had a couple of young men from about two hours away from us that met some of our girls, our teenage girls. And one brother came to Spokane, and he ended up taking one of our girls and marrying her. And um, his brother then came to Spokane a couple of years later and married another one of our girls. I called their pastor, and I said, the next one of your boys that shows up in Spokane at our church, I'm going to run him off with a shotgun. <laughs> I have this lousy conviction that the wife ought to go with the husband, you know. So, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I, uh, I really do count it a privilege and count it a joy to be here and a part of what you're doing. My mind is so flooded with, with thoughts. I, you know, I've, I've been 42 years the pastor in one place, so I've preached a lot of messages I've got thousands of messages in boxes and notebooks. 
So it's not, a, it's not a problem to have a message. Frankly, you can go to any page in the Bible and just stick your finger in there, and there's a message. But I believe there's something that God wants said. I believe there is a message for a particular service, for a particular event. And that's my heart's desire to make sure that I bring something that would be helpful to the church and helpful to, to you. I am a veteran of the Army and proud of it. I found out when I joined, when I joined the Army, so I'm speaking from within. I found out that in some ways the Army was very Mickey Mouse compared to the other branches of service. For example, Army construction. They had a guy that drove the bulldozer. They had another guy that drove the front end loader. Had another guy, and they had a guy for each, you know, that was your MOS. I'm, I'm, I'm a bulldozer driver. Don't ask me to move those logs. I'm a bulldozer. Okay? And so then I met some Navy SEALs who just go into a place and do everything, you know? And so, you know, I, I realized we did some things, but we did some things really good. We killed people really well. Okay? <laughs> That's something we were good at, and uh, so. But uh, I enjoyed my time in service. I joined the army strictly because I wanted to fly. This is serious. The uh, only branch of service you could fly in without a college education was the army. They had a warrant officer program. Fort Rucker, Alabama. You get, get you can become a pilot and get your get your, get your officer uh, uh, rank right out of out of that uh, that program. My timing was horrible. I had a friend who was a pilot, and uh, he told me, he said, join up first, get a job in the Army, and then when you get to your first duty station, apply from there. It's easier to get accepted flight school if you apply from within the Army than applying from the, you know, from the sidewalk. So I did that. I joined up, and I took a computer operating uh, uh, um, um, MOS, and, I, uh, and I, I went and got the training for that. And when I got to my first duty station, I applied for flight school. My application was, uh, was approved all the way up through all the units, up through the Department of the Army, I was approved. But there was one more place I had to go, and that was Fort Rucker, Alabama, the school. It was 1974, late 74. Any of you know uh, you, uh, your history, Vietnam was winding down. Saigon fell later in, 19, in April of 1975. So we were just about out of Vietnam by that time. And with all those pilots from Vietnam coming home, there was a glut of helicopter pilots at that time and very few slots available for new pilots. And so I, I was disappointed. My lieutenant said, well, are you going to reapply? I can, I, can, I can suspend these orders if you reapply, I said, what are those? He said, these are orders to Okinawa. And I was so ready to go somewhere that I told them, I said, I'll tell you what, I'll take those orders. I'll go to Okinawa. When I get settled in there, I'll reapply again. But I was going to keep reapplying until they accepted me. But I got to Okinawa and something different happened. Amen. I got saved and God ruined all of my plans, every one of them. And so instead of flying, he called me to preach. And... Uh, I still have this little thing inside that I wish I, uh, I could fly, but that's okay. I've flown enough, and, uh, and uh, we've had some, have some fun at it. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 16. I will get to the preaching, honestly. 
Beginning in, um, I'll, just, I'll just read a couple of verses. Uh, verse 6, the Bible says, Then Jesus said unto them, talking to his disciples, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. When Jesus perceived, he said to them, O oh, ye, oh, ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have, ta- ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves and the f- of the 5,000 and how many baskets he took up? Neither the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets he took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to, to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees or the Sadducees? Then understood they, how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We pray that you please would work in our hearts, and we pray that you please would speak to the hearts of people here tonight, and we'll give you the thanks for it, because it is in your Son's name that we ask it. Amen. Um, we live in a confused world. Now, if it's not here, it is where I come from. But I think we all know that we're living in a very confused world today. The scriptures are really playing out the whole concept of people who call righteous bad and, 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 and sinful things good. And it's a, it's, a, it's a different world we live in. Things seem in our world to be dark and, and challenging. Before, before COVID, um, pastors and evangelists and missionaries that I knew, church leaders, from all circles bemoaned the apathy that seemed to have its grip on the church all over the world. There just seemed to be an apathy. People just didn't seem to care. Since COVID, it seems like there is a great fear now that has settled into the hearts of many of God's people. I was telling your pastor... I don't think our government does very much right or, or well. And I'm not here to speak against the government all for the whole week. But I just want you to say, I don't think they do much well, but they did a really, really good job of scaring people. And I still think there's some elderly, some elderly folks that are not ever going to come back to church because they're afraid. They're just afraid. And so, uh, and of course, we come from the People's Republic of Washington State. You know, uh, the communist governor, and so we got. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I I I told myself I told myself I said don't get on politics. But um, uh, uh, but but they've scared people, and, I, and I'm I'm convinced that some have accepted the fear, and may never return to church, while others are in great fear of government's overreach and control. Although technologies like live streaming uh, were invaluable during the short period of time that we had to experience lockdown, and it keeps our shut-ins connected with the church. Some have begun to use it as a, simply as an alternative to live church. In my opinion, one of the ways of thinking that has emerged from this past few years is a more widespread take-it-or-leave-it approach to church. 
the every time the church doors are open attitude of church attendance has been largely replaced with if I have the time and I'm not too tired. With all the online opportunities and, uh, and, and resources available, many people are wondering if the local church is ever relative or is, is, is even relative these days. Here on your anniversary, I want to tell you the local church is more relative, or at least as relative as it's ever been. Amen. With you celebrating your anniversary, I want to just bring this message that hopefully will maybe give you a, 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 a renewed love for and concern about and about being a part of and, 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 and giving yourself to the work of the local church. I believe God's word answers those questions about the church. And let me just point out a few things right here. First of all, I want you to see the warning that Jesus gave. The warning. If we begin uh, in, in verse 6 again, just to go there for a moment... Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So what was he talking about? We look at the context of this chapter. We see the first verse. He says, Then the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting, uh, uh, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. First of all, I want you to notice, he's talking about these, uh, these Pharisees. He says they were... Their motive was impure. They came to Jesus not to learn, not to get something from him. They came tempting him. They were trying to get him to say something. This, this, this competition uh, you see throughout the New Testament, throughout the, the Gospels at least, where the Pharisees were constantly trying to catch Jesus in his words so they have something to criticize him for, something to, 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 to say to him. But they never could. He always answered them in a way that they were dumbfounded, didn't know what to do, didn't know what to say. It's interesting when they asked him the question about the woman who had seven husbands and whose wife would she be in the resurrection? And he said, you err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. These Pharisees, you know, you know, they, they prided themselves in knowing the Bible. And he says, you err, not knowing the word of God. You know, <laughs> he nailed them every time. But they still tried. They sent people to him to ask him questions to thinking if they could get him to say the wrong thing, then they could criticize him to the people. Their motive was to tempt him. He points out their hypocrisy. says, he answers to them, when is evening, you say it will be fair weather. The sky is red. In the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and alluring. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. He said, you're a bunch of hypocrites, he says to them. You're so wise, you can tell me what's going to happen tomorrow by the sky and all this, but you can't see the signs of the times. They were full of hypocrisy. There had already been signs. According to Isaiah chapter 7, a virgin already given birth. According to Micah 5.2, he was born in Jerusalem, in, in, in Bethlehem. 
There had already been a forerunner. Elijah had already appeared. According to Malachi 4, 5. And according to Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, eyes, you know, blind eyes were being opened, ears un, you know, your deaf ears unstopped. The lame were walking, the dumb were singing. All these were prophecies of the Messiah. It's interesting, I find, when, um, when John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and said, uh, are, you, you know, are, you, are, are you the one or do we look for another? Some people can argue, well, what did they were, were they doubting? Was John doubting that Jesus was the Messiah? I don't think so. I don't think for a second. In their day, they had, they had, uh, they had pharisaical arguments, and they had, if you would, uh, 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 you know, they had uh, differences in Bible, uh, uh, in Bible interpretation, things like that, just like, just like we do today. And there was a thinking in their day that there would only be one Messiah, but there was another group that thought, no, no, no. If you look at the prophecies, there are prophecies of a, of a victorious Messiah. And there's prophecies of a suffering Messiah. And some people thought that maybe there were going to be two Messiahs. This is just part of the, some of the Bible you, you, you debate in their day. I believe what, what, um, what John was asking his disciples to find out from Jesus, because he said there's... <laughs> Never, never, never one born like John the Baptist. I don't believe he was doubting at all. I believe he was asking a legitimate question. Are you the one? Because we had hoped that the, the victorious Messiah was, was coming. But we're seeing things turn. We're seeing the government turn against you. We're seeing people get hateful. They're talking about killing you. They're talking about finding a way to take your life. Are you the one? Or do we look for another? I think it was a legitimate question. And what's interesting is Jesus' answer. He said, you go and tell him. The blind see, the dumb spake, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. He gave John the answer that identified himself as the Messiah that was going to be victorious. Even though he saw things turning against him publicly. He said, okay, he's the, he's the one, however he does it. And, of course, we know today now that he, he died then, but he's still the victorious Messiah, still going to come Amen. and have victory. We see it now because we have the vision of all these years since. We have the answers to the prophecies. But he asked him, are you the one? They had already given. He had already, all the signs were there, and they're asking for signs. He says, you're a bunch of hypocrites. So he challenges them. He says the other thing was, he said, their doctrine. He warned them, and, he, and as, we just, as we just read, he corrected the disciples in their thinking. You know what he said here? If I could put this in simple terms every day. They said, oh, it's because we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus says, do you not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000? He said, neither the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up. You know what he said to me? He said, do you not understand I can handle bread? No bread is not a problem for me. 
And that's when they said, oh, ding. He's talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees. He was warning them not to be drawn in by the doctrine of the Pharisees. Their attitudes, their, their motives, their hypocrisies. They were insincere. They weren't wanting truth. They were wanting power. Jesus calls them a wicked and adulterous generation. What he's warning his disciples about is not buying into the thinking and the way of the Pharisees. I wonder what his warnings today would be. If we were sitting down at a small group Bible study with the Lord, what would he tell us to beware of? Would he say, beware of of the leaven of humanism? Beware of the leaven of modernism. Beware of the leaven of of church growth philosophies. You say, listen, you need to beware. Don't think that the number of people that sit in the pews in your churches is what makes you right. Is that what he'd warn us about today? What he warn us about? We say, beware of the leaven of contemporary theology. Beware of the leaven of distractions. Forgive me, I know where I am. Would he warn us to beware of the philosophy of football games? We say, beware of the leaven of hunting season. Forgive me. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those things. But I'm saying when they impact the way that we go to church and they impact the way that we serve within the church, then we're giving into the philosophies of the Pharisees. I love good hunters. I get some of their meat sometimes. <laughs> Somebody said, you ever hear the, the old Indian word for lousy hunter? Vegetarian. <laughs> now listen, I love football. I love sports. I, 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 I really do. I think God, I think God created the DVR for people who are faithful to church. That's the hand of God saying, I love you. I'm going to give you something back. I record everything, everything. So I can go through an entire NFL football game in an hour and a half. (laughs) Nobody wants to watch it with me. They go, what just happened? I said, oh, that was three plays ago. But anyway, I'm all for it. So we see his warning. Secondly, I want you to see the question he asked, the warning he gave, and then the, the question he asked. Because when we get through down to verse 13, he says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. Now, uh, by the way, I, I, wonder, you know, I, I know we've all, if any Bible studies, you prepare your message, you know, context. Context is important. I don't understand the context. Well, I think it's really important to understand the context here. The last, at least, 
what we have written for us, the last thing that they talked about was the leaven of the Pharisees. And then he says to them, he says, we just came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked the, the disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That's what we're hearing out there. That's what people are saying. But whom do you say that I am? What do you think? And Peter spoke up. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Can you hear him say it with conviction? Can him just say it boldly? He didn't go, oh, maybe, maybe the Son of the living God. <laughs> He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou. Put yourself back in Sunday school class. You're asking questions of the kids, and one of them just blurts out the right answer. Good job there. That's good job. You know, I kind of picture that sort of a that sort of a uh, of a situation. Jesus goes, Thou art, he says, he says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. That answer came right from the Spirit of God. So, don't you see, I believe Jesus was establishing a basis for the next thing he's going to say. Who do you think I am? Well, you're... You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And then the Bible tells us, and he says, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the rock wasn't Peter. The rock was the profession Peter just made. On this, I will build my church. I'm not the first person ever said this, so... I'm not trying to make it, you know, you know, it's new with me. But he didn't say, I will build your church. And he didn't say, you will build my church. He said, I will build my church. You see, I think that in my experience, I've only been pastoring for 42 years, but in my experience, in my range of, of knowing anything, the people who don't take proper concern to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees are people who are struck by success. Many of them. In other words, they've got to build a church. They have to have a big church. They have to have a lot of people come. And we can't stand for some of the things that we stood for years ago. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, uh, you know, this isn't the '70s anymore, folks. <laughs> yeah. I say this: if you've got the right Bible, it hasn't changed since the '70s. Amen. The things it said back in the '70s still says today. By the way, it said them in the '50s. If your convictions are based upon the Word of God, the Word of God hasn't changed. 
But people are changing their convictions. They're changing their, 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 their idea of church. They're changing their, uh, try to get, to get and maintain a crowd. Folks, the same thing will build a church today that built a church years ago. And that's the conversion of lost people to Christ. That's the answer. I don't want to get them in because we had a concert. I don't want to get them in because we, 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 you know, we only have a, a you know, 15-minute devotional on Sunday morning and no church Sunday night. That's not, that's not how I want to get them. I think we do the hard work of going into the highways and hedges and compelling them. We need to go, we do the hard work of taking the gospel to them. You say, well, you, get a, you bring the crowd in, then you're going to preach the gospel to them. Had a preacher. We bought a we bought a church about twenty four years ago now, a church building, and um, the former pastor. They had been up to they had, they had had a church run about oh three fifty to four hundred, and they were down to about eighty people, and the reason was because he took these old, you know, older people with good doctrine, and he tried to turn the church into a modern. They didn't do much preaching. They did a lot of plays, a lot of. A lot of social, you know, you know, video media and things like that. They did a, uh, uh, you know, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of that kind of stuff for church. And all those old people that love the Word of God filtered away over a period of time. Now they got about eighty people, and they can't maintain this big building. And that man, when we when we went in to work with him, you know, we're going to details, sign everything, and come in, and 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 and, and he told me, he said, preacher, let me tell you something. We got it all wrong in America today. I said, what's that? He said, we've done our very best to make church comfortable for saved people and uncomfortable for lost people. He said, we need to make church comfortable for lost people so we can give them the gospel. (coughs) I said, how's that working for you? It wasn't. I don't know if many of you know the name George Barna, but he... Writes the books. He's done a lot of survey work in the uh, evangelical community. Sometime, just not too not too long ago, but a few years back, they did a big survey on the mega churches and getting all these people in the mega churches. You know what he said? Now this is them talking. This isn't necessarily one of our people saying this. He said we have done such an excellent job of getting them in the seats but we've done a terrible job of changing their lives. You lead them to Christ, change their lives out there, and they'll find a place here. People are giving in to this whole idea of church should be this or church should be that and trying to make it more modern and and more uh, contemporary so it can relate to the younger crowd. Hey, you don't have to go to hell. That can relate to the younger crowd. The answer to the isms and the schisms and the false doctrines and the philosophies of our world today is the local church. He said, here's the leaven of Pharisees. Beware of that. And we'll establish the church. Folks, the church is the answer to what's going on out there in the world. It's the answer. If I could accomplish one thing with this message tonight, 
it would be that each one of us would commit ourselves. And I know many of you are already, already committed people. But commit yourself anew and afresh to the work of the local church. If you have talents and abilities, and by the way, I believe God has given each one who's saved at least one spiritual gift. We're all gifted. But some people, they take the gift that God has given them, they use it in the secular field to make money, and they have no time to give it to God. No time. Balance that out. Get that balance. Take your talents, take your abilities, take the gifts that God has given you and use it to further the work of the local church. Folks, the local church is relevant. 44 years, thank God for 44 years. I don't know about you, but I've been the only pastor that our church has ever had now for 42 years. Now, in some ways, that's an advantage. No one's ever suggested, legitimately tried to make a suggestion that I should leave. I was the first one there. They joined me. Okay? I was here before you. If you don't like the arrangement, you can leave. Okay? Not me. I'm not leaving. All right? Had one guy suggest one time. He said, he said, you know, you ought to leave and let these people get a real pastor. I wasn't sure what a real pastor meant, but anyway, he because I, mean, I was getting paid for the position, I thought I was a real pastor, but um, <laughs> but but he said he said uh, he said you gotta you gotta you gotta resign and let these people have a real pastor. I looked at him. I said, you know, I came here because God led me here. I was convinced from the Word of God that God led me to come here and start this church. And I said, I will leave when I feel as convinced that God is leading me away. Okay? I'm not adverse to leaving. If God wants me somewhere else, He can send me somewhere else. But I promised Him I'd never look for a place to go. I would never put out a resume. I'd never ask another pastor to recommend me anywhere. God knows my address and my phone number. He can get a hold of me whenever He wants to. So I told this man, I said, so the best thing you could do, if you're in the habit of getting your prayers answered, would be to pray and ask God to lead me away. Because I promise you, as soon as he does, I'll go. And the fellow's answer was, ah! hang up the phone. <laughs> Which is, I mean, to be honest, it's the exact answer I was looking for. But um, <laughs> I like to annoy people. Are any of you like that? Do you, do, you, do you just like to get under people's skin when they're the people who try and get under your skin? I, you know, I like to give it back to them better. Than, you know, I decided several years ago that I was going to enjoy my life. Even if that's at other people's expense. Yeah. Pray for me. I'm in a world of hurt. I've got a granddaughter. It's every bit of who I am. <laughs> At nine years old, I took her to the bank with me. She said, Papa, can I go with you to the bank? I took her to the bank, and I had a bank deposit. You know, you go take a church deposit, 
from the bank, and there's maybe three or four deposits in there for different things. And Mr.'s deposit and this, you know, all these different things. So we're sitting there waiting. She's counting, you know, the teller's counting the money. I look down my, at, on, my, on, my, on my granddaughter, and she's a beautiful little girl. But I just looked at her, and I said, U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. You ugly. <laughs> now, I know that if I said that to her older sister, she would have started crying on the spot. Okay? <laughs> She can't handle that kind of thing. This one loves to banter. But she had no warning it was coming. She had no warning what I was going to say. And without a second's hesitation, she looked up at me and said, P-A-P-A. I know how I got that way, Papa. <laughs> I'm in a world of hurt. I am in a world of hurt. She nailed me right in front of that teller. Just, I just, when I said U-G-L-Y, the teller kind of looked at me like, why would you say something to your granddaughter that way? And when she said, P-A-P-A, -P -A, I know how I got that way, the teller just put her head down. <laughs> She's a mess. Commit yourself to a new and fresh... Uh, uh, commit yourself new and new and afresh to the work of local church, and then use your talents and abilities and spiritual gifts to further the work of the local church. Folks, there's only one public institution. I say that because I know God started the, you know, established the home too. But the only the, the only place you can go today to a place. It was actually established by Jesus Christ is the local church. He didn't start any restaurants. He didn't start any clubs. He didn't start any sports arenas. He established the local church. And I believe in our hearts and our lives to whatever extent we're available. Folks, I'm 70 now. I know for some of you, I'm still just a young whippersnapper. I get that. For most of you, I'm probably you know, a little bit of an older guy. For me, it depends on the day. <laughs> if, if I've had enough fixed strength Tylenol, you know, then I'm feeling much younger. But, uh, I told uh, the, the Garmos last night when we came in, I said, you know, I, I think I know when I'm getting old because my Christmas list has changed a lot. Now I have extra strength Tylenol, Metamucil, you know. I got a lot of stuff on my Christmas list that I never would have imagined years ago, you know. So I understand that sometimes as we age, we may not be able to do all that we used to do. But you still ought to do all that you're able to do. There's no more important thing going on in this world today than the work of the local church. Jesus said, I will build my church. We ought to just desire to be one of his tools as he's doing the building. Would you bow your head with me, please? His head bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. I just want to challenge you, please. Maybe you're one of the stalwarts here. Maybe you're the one that's here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You're here all the time. You're here at revival meetings. You're here forever. You'll be here every night this week. You've got a Sunday school class, or you've got a, you sing in the choir, or you, you lead an area of ministry. But I ask you, 
in your heart of hearts, are you truly committed to Christ's work in the local church? I don't mean do you attend. I mean, are you committed to the work of Jesus Christ through the ministry of the local church? Would you please let God have his way in your life tonight? And every once in a while, every once in a while, every one of us needs to recommit our life. We get tired. Sometimes we get distracted. But every single one of us, preachers included, sometimes just have to recommit ourselves to what it is that God is doing in this world. Does tonight need to be a night of a recommitment for you? In just a moment, the invitation will begin. I want to invite you to really do something about what God has spoken to your heart about tonight. If he's spoken to you, if the Spirit of God has moved in your heart, then do something about it, either right there where you sit or around this altar, but do something about it. Father, thank you so very much for the Word of God. Thank you for its truth. And I pray that you please, Lord, would work in the hearts of every Christian here. And Lord, I know I didn't say much about it, but even for those that may not know Christ as their Savior, I pray they'd understand how important that decision is and how relevant it is to them today. Please, Lord, speak to hearts, move in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen.